0: Uh, we've got a few verses we'll read at the start, and then we'll uh, carry on and, and, and stay in that chapter from verses 8 through 37. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37, but we'll just read the first few uh, to set up the chapter. Uh, God's word says this. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, She has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help, and we'll pick it up uh, as we go here. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Help us. Thank you for giving us uh, minds to think uh, and understanding. We pray for that supernatural help that we need, though, as we encounter your word. So by your Holy Spirit's help uh, and strength and power, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So each week I send a copy of the sermon. I get it done, and, and um, just uh, I've been doing this ever since Tina and Abishek were here. And I send a copy to Bruno and Karini and and Tina and Abishek, uh, just so they can follow along since English isn't their first language. Although it's it's keeping on getting better and better. But I noticed after I sent it that I hit the wrong button or they've changed everything in, in this deal. And so now uh, I sent them the sermon, but they are collaborators. And I thought, what if Noel or Brian gets a hold of a phone and just starts hitting buttons like our kid did one time with a phone and and, uh, and got to some gambling site or something. I thought what if what if he wipes out the sermon? So I've got a hard copy. Then I thought, well what if Abishek says I don't like that sermon point he edits my my, my sermon. And probably it would be an improvement, but we could talk about it first. But um, anyway, so I've got my hard copy. But I think as I look at it, we're, we're good to go here. Um, we um, skipped the first seven verses in 2 Kings 4 because I preached about that uh, maybe a, two months ago in the God's Sovereignty series. And so if you say, well, I wanted to take this in order, you could go back to that um, uh, and listen to that. But this passage this morning is vital for us to understand. I would say God is good. That's the lead-off phrase. God is good. God is good. And in some places, if you say God is good, uh, some Christian's going to respond all the time. Because there's a song It's kind of a good—our church back in Delaware used to sing it. It's kind of a country hoedown song, at least the way we sang it. But God is good all the time. He put a song of joy in this heart of mine, and and we say God is good all the time. But do you know what? Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is good all the time. And sometimes if I say God is good, and I'm burdened down with hard things that have happened, and I'm trying to remind myself or remind you that God is good— Uh, Sometimes that all the time uh, gets in my head and I go, sure doesn't feel like it. Listen, I I wrote this, go to someone right after their doctor gave them some bad news or their fiancé breaks up with them or their house has been ransacked uh, and say, God is good. And even the ones who are accustomed to saying all the time might choke on the words, at least temporarily. And some might even say, no, he's not. Or most likely they'd say, it doesn't seem like it right now. I want to remind us ahead of time, God is good, and God is good all the time. And we need to see this and understand it. So there's four points this morning. Um, One, the first thing we're going to talk about is from the verses we just read, the simplicity of God's goodness. Secondly, the seeming inconsistency of God's ways, and that's verses 18 through 30. Third, the limitations of God's servant. That's verses 27 through 33. And finally, the witness to God's power, verses 32 through 37. Right now, the simplicity of God's goodness. So it says, and I'm not sure what every translation reads, um, ours, uh, the ESV said, one day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived. Uh, The rich woman uh, could also be translated, she was a great woman. Maybe in that day, in that culture, um, uh, like ours, sometimes the, the wealth equals greatness in our minds, or the greatness equals wealth or leads to wealth. Um, I prefer to refer to her as, as the great, a great woman. There was greatness about her. But she obviously had been blessed by God with some wealth. She had a giving heart. She had spiritual insight. She knew who this prophet was that was traveling through, and spiritually something resonated with her that didn't resonate with everybody who encountered Elisha. She said, this is a man of God. She started by giving him food. She said to her husband, let's build a place for him. When he's traveling through, he and Gehazi, a place for them, with a bed, a chair, a lamp, just a, a place where they can find some, some shelter and, and refuge and quiet on our roof, a, a stopping place. So she was a woman with a giving heart and spiritual insight. What she did in giving to Elisha was certainly in line with God's heart. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew uh, later on in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 41 and 42, The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person Will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Elisha wanted to give the earthly part of the reward. Elisha couldn't save her soul. Elisha couldn't uh, uh, say, Well, God, see her, take her to heaven. He could pray for her, I guess, like anyone else, but he could do something on an earthly basis for her, and he was thankful, and he wanted to do something. So he said to her, well, what can I do for you? He said, can I speak to the commander or the king of the army? Elisha had some influence with both. Maybe he was uh, offering, a, you know, maybe a tax break, or he could put a word in, and when the commander of the army came through, maybe they'd take a special notice of her and and, and look out for her, or maybe there was some land somewhere else, or we don't know exactly what was involved in this, but Elisha said, I want to do something for you. What can I do for you? And, And I can put in a word for you with these people. And you notice her response. Her response, she said, I dwell among my own people, meaning I've got everything I need right here. I'm not aspiring to high. I don't need this. I'm not trying. I, I just dwell here among my own people. Meaning that in addition to her other traits, the spiritual insight, the generous heart, she also had a satisfied mind. But you know, there was one thing she wouldn't even think to ask and couldn't bear to ask. It would be futile to ask that. And that was... As Gehazi pointed out, look, she's got no son. Her husband's getting old. What she really needs is a son. I thought of that country song that my mom used to sing when she was pregnant with my little sister. And it was a pretty popular song at the time. I didn't realize that the original singer was Buck Owens and the Buckaroos but this was a woman who sang it. It was uh, a song that said the the pity, pity patter of little bitty feet are going to pity, pity patter through our house, and we're going to think of a name, and it's going to be a great big change, and there's going to be a big doctor bill, but we're excited about it anyway. And and, and the whole song, I looked it up and and thought of it, and I could hear my mom singing that again and again uh, as as my little sister Kay was, was getting ready to come. That's what she needed, and that's what she wanted just a living, breathing baby for a woman who wanted to be a mom. It was important in those days, too. That was their social security. Uh, that was their government. Uh, the husband was the moneymaker. The kids were the moneymakers. There was no uh, mechanisms that governments have put into place in these days. Uh, that was uh, going to leave her lonely when her husband passed away. And Gehazi rightly said, she needs a baby. She wants a baby. That's
1: what what could happen for her.
0: This has happened throughout Scripture. This is a a theme through Scripture. You can think of seven or eight. If I just said, let's take a moment or two and let's name all of the, um, the, the times where somebody wanted a baby or needed a baby and couldn't have one and God provided, you would give some names. And you say, this is a theme. Think of Sarah. And the language is the same in the Old Testament. The Hebrew, about this time next year, you'll have a baby, Sarah. And she laughed and she named her, her baby Isaac because of laughter. Um, Rebecca. If you do the math of, 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 the, of the genealogies and the time from when Isaac married Rebecca, you can see that it was about 20 years of marriage before Rebecca was given her sons. Rachel. And you see the pain and, 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 and the whole conflict between Rachel and Leah. And one could have kids and one couldn't. Samson's mother, Mrs. Manoah, uh, was unable to have a child. And, and the angel of the Lord appeared and said, here comes a baby to your house. And he, this is who he'll be and what he'll do. Hannah, maybe the more famous one or the one that comes to my mind of Hannah just weeping wanting a child, and and even uh, to where the old priest Eli thought she was drunk uh, because of the way she was acting. She wanted that baby. Elizabeth, who we just talked about in the New Testament, uh, unable to have children and old, and, and a miracle baby came. Now, somebody that I read pointed out the difference between all of these babies and this baby. And there is a difference. It's the same in that they were wanted and that they were gifts from God. But in all of those which were great gifts from God on the immediate level. I mean, you think about God's plan, God's unfolding plan. How, how um, uh, who were the first two? Uh, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. All of this was involved God's people and God's line and, and the Messiah that would come. Think of Samson and and what God was going to use that baby to do as a judge for his people. Uh, Everything had to do, uh, in addition to 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 the family benefit, it had to do with God's unfolding plan for his people. This one, you don't even know the mom's name. You don't even know the kid's name. You don't know the dad's name. This was just God giving a gift to somebody. And and, and I want us to see this, the simplicity of God's goodness. When you celebrate the children God gives you, you're at your godliest. When God does something for you that's just to do for you. Uh, It's like a parent uh, going away on a trip and seeing something that they know their child would like. Oh, he'd be interested in this. Oh, she would like that. Or his wife, or or her husband. And you just say, I'm gonna do this just to be nice. Uh, There was a movie, and I forget which one it was and what character, but they described some guy. They said he likes to give gifts, but not at Christmas or on birthdays. He just likes to give gifts to people that, that specialize for them. You think about God giving gifts to you, you think about what God does for you. And I say again, when you celebrate the kids God gives you, this is a reminder. You are at your godliest.
1: You're at your godliest.
0: 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And here's a description of God, God's self-description. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Is God generous or is God stingy? Well, go ask the devil. He'll say God is very, very stingy. Genesis 3 to Eve. God just doesn't want your eyes to be opened. He's keeping you down. He's pretending to be your friend, but he's holding you back. He knows if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be open. That's the kind of God you've been walking with in the cool of the day in the garden. Ask the devil, he'll tell you God is very, very stingy. And when you look at God and you see God as a stingy, withholding, vengeful God, uh, you're just saying amen to what the devil just said and not what the Bible says. God is a good God. God loves to lavish his kids with good gifts. The rest of the Bible, testimony of God's people in heaven, as well as those of us Christians on earth, and this great Shunammite woman all say God is generous and God is good. Some of you are probably thinking about James one sixteen and 17 that says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God gives his people just to give them a gift. Oh, God's very intentional. We know everything good that God does for us is all tied into a good plan and all that. But you're just not some dot that he's moving along. Uh, I love to think sometimes about God as as a a master, uh, as a chess master, for instance, moving his pieces, putting us into place where where they go for his sovereign plan. But you know what? Uh, Don't stop with that, and, and don't stop seeing God's sovereignty that way. Also, see God the way the Bible describes him. He just wants to love you. He gives you gifts the same way you get pleasure out of giving gifts to people you love. And you say, oh, I know it's not Christmas yet, but my little granddaughter, she sure would like this, or my little grandson, and you buy it thinking about them. And you're like, man, I can't even wait till Christmas. to." You know what? (laughs) It's May. I bought this for them for Christmas, but why not just give it now? Because they're going to love it. And we do things like that. And the Bible depicting God as a father for His children, for His Christians, giving gifts. And and, and see, first of all, before we move into a harder part, see, first of all, God, just the simplistic, the simplicity of God's goodness. You have a good day. The sun's shining. It's baseball you like. There's a baseball game on the radio. You get a text from an old friend that he's going to be in church the next day. You just have a good day and you say, that's God's gift. That is God's gift. Thank you, God. And just stop and realize, God provided you with something. But the story takes a darker turn as we consider the seeming inconsistency of God's ways. And I'm saying the seeming inconsistency of God's ways. Now, when Dr. Davis put this in his commentary, he wrote the inconsistency of God's ways. And I said, ooh, that's almost blasphemous. The inconsistency of God's ways? Why would he write that? I don't want to tell people that God's ways are inconsistent. And then I looked at the footnote, and here's what he wrote. He said, some readers may prefer to place quote marks around inconsistency, but I'm trying to depict God's ways as the woman would have perceived them, and as we perceive them when walking in the muck. And honestly, we do sometimes say God's inconsistent. Gives me a good day out on the snowbank, and then what happens? Why would God do that to me? As some of you have experienced, when the skiing doesn't go right, He gives me a wife, then He takes her away. Gives me a great job and I'm loving it, and I'm feeling my potential, and here come the layoffs. If I say God gave me the job, don't I have to say God took that job away? And isn't that inconsistent of God? So there's a question mark. We need to answer that and look at the text and say, is God inconsistent in his ways? A little miniature biography is given of the Son. Oh, we better read uh, these verses. So 18 through 30. If you've still got your Bible open, otherwise you can listen. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he lifted him up and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. What was going on in that mom's mind, that great woman's mind, while she held her child who saying, Oh, my head, my head. And she's holding that little gift from God that she didn't have and wouldn't have even known and loved had God not given her that gift. What was going on when she looked down at noon? And his body is limp. And there's the gift from God lying dead in her lap. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Now, we'll get back to this, but I thought about that action. Maybe she laid that little baby on that bed because that was just the most logical place to put him. Or maybe she was saying in her mind, you gave him to me, you took him, take take the carcass. And maybe, maybe when she shut that door, who knows what she was thinking. What would you have been thinking about God and God's gift? And I might have been too afraid to admit it, but I might have said I'm a
1: little mad at God.
0: Then I would have maybe washed my mouth out with soap or said, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God. Maybe I would have said that or maybe I would have just stayed mad because why would God do that? She called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor the Sabbath. She said, all is well. Didn't tell her husband what was going on. Um, Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. That's the way uh, some of them traveled, particularly women in those days from what I read. They would be on the animal and and the uh, servants who were in better shape maybe from working in the fields or whatever would be the one driving the animal from behind. So here's the servant driving the animal and she's on that donkey headed out to see Elisha. When the man, and so she set out and came to meet the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. Didn't want to talk to Gehazi. Didn't want to, didn't want to go through him. She was driving on. She wanted to talk to the man of God who had God's words. Uh, and so she went to him. When she came to the mountain to the man of God, she cut hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Am I the one that when you asked me what you could do, did I say, give me a son? No, I didn't do that. Did I not say, do not deceive me? That son was too good to be true. Don't even lie to me. Don't tell me I'm going to have a son. If I'm not, and this was even worse than that. He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. You're a man on a mission. Get back there. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. The son was born. The son died. There's his biography. People say, looking at the science of it, uh, it was probably a sunstroke. That would make sense. Uh, Whatever it was, my head, my head, and he was gone. The agony of the great woman. She goes to the man of God, and six times the text has her clinging to him. Here's what, here's what my old Professor Davis, did better than I, I could write it. I, I could only try to rewrite it and change some words. I'll just give you the quote. He said, so where does she turn? Where does she go? Only to the same God who has perplexed her. There is no one else to whom she can go. What can you do when God's mercy has turned to malice? Take the bitter distress and in it keep clutching at the God you don't understand. We have a word for that, faith, which tells, by the way, that faith is not serenity. We do not
1: know what is coming.
0: We can't even predict it. We don't know. All we can do is get our hearts ready to say, God is good all the time. And I don't understand it, but God is that way for me.
1: Be prepared.
0: The reason this text is here for you to read, for us to look at this morning, is to get us ready. Forewarned is forearmed. We know it can't all be good all the time on this earth. What, what if this earth for you was just like heaven? You wouldn't even want to go to heaven. It's a fallen earth. There are such good times. Oh, there are good times. There are things to do, and you just get caught up, and you say, boy, that was just a good day. I just feel good for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe little things, maybe big things. Different things for me than for you. Uh, But there are gifts that God gives, but we know that it's not all that way all the time. and we get ready, and we be prepared. God is in the good times, and God is in the bad times. You make your plan. You read up on God's sovereignty. You think about what it's like to be loved by God. You keep your relationship with God going so you don't have to feel like you're crawling back. Uh, you say, I'm going to keep, keep talking to the Lord, and I'm going to be with God. And when the bad times come, I'll do what I know how to do when the good times are here. Cling to God in faith. So be prepared. Listen to the rest of the story, though, and listen to this. We hope for a resolution to this story, a happy one, of course, right away. But before we get to that, we need one other thing to learn and listen to, and that is the limitations of God's servant. These kind of overlap, so I'll read read 27 again to go up to 33. Uh, It says... um, when she came, she found the man of God. The man said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know this child was going to die. Lord didn't tell him. Yeah, but he was Elisha. He was the prophet. He was the man of God. He should have known. He says to Gehazi, take my staff and lay it on him. But he comes, and he's going back with the woman then, Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him, and he said, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Don't get too high of an opinion of anyone. And if you're a Christian in a church church, Don't get too high of an opinion of any Christian leader or pastor or or, or somebody. Uh, They are people. They are humans. Uh, They don't know everything about everything. They're not God. If they try to become God or become the Holy Spirit in your life and take the place of the Holy Spirit, run. Uh, Run. Listen. God's servants have limitations. That movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, at the very end, uh, there's a famous line that I've seen applied to other people, a bad line. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And some people say that all these are stories about Elijah are just legends anyway. This shows uh, uh, that somebody wasn't trying to sugarcoat Elisha as this great guy. Elisha was lost. He didn't know what to do. God hadn't shown him. He was as surprised. He was hurting. Maybe even some of her, uh, the great woman's uh, emotions, uh, were adopted by him. God, why? He's looking at her as he's traveling back with her. They're probably not in as big of a hurry to go back, and he's looking and he's hearing her sobs, and he's trying to come up with the words. Uh, Maybe he did what a lot of us do. Uh, Foolishly, we try to explain God. At times we should just shut up and weep with those who weep. Um. But he didn't know and understand God's servant was limited. Don't make idols out of them. have seen it a few times when I've been on churches with multi-staff. And the church will hire someone uh, to come in and be, be part of this. And they think, oh, good, I'm leaving this secular job with all of its gossip and all of its badness and all and I'm coming on staff and I'm just sure those pastors and, and all the, the administrative assistants, I'm sure they all just hold hands and sing kumbaya and, and recite the Psalms in the original Hebrew. And then they see feet of clay and people needing to apologize and people without answers and they get very disillusioned or they can if they've had too high of an opinion. Don't get too high of an opinion of God's people. Save your high opinion for God himself. Elisha didn't have the answers. And if you're a leader, whether that's a leader as an officer in the church or a leader as a mom or a dad who's been entrusted with children to raise, if you're a leader anywhere and you have some spiritual pull and influence, don't put yourself on a pedestal. Realize that you don't have God as the one. There are limitations to you, even as a leader, mom, dad. Galatians 6 1 says this Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And the very next line that Paul gives us Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In this case, Elisha was not sinning, he was just inadequate in this situation. That's all wasn't sinning by not knowing. He didn't fail prophet class. God just hadn't told him. And there he was with this woman whose son he'd been so happy to see and knew by name. Uh, who knows what, he, what all he had done with that son. He was as proud of that son as, as could be. You know it. And there he was, not even knowing that the child was going to die and, and having no clue what to do. Let's try this. My staff over him. Didn't work. God, all I can do is weep and pray. Good advice for all of us in a situation like that. Weep and pray. But in this case, thank God in this case, God had a supernatural plan to reveal God's power. Verses 32 through 37. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on the bed. He went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then, as an answer to that prayer He went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her living son and went out. Think of what that snuggle would have been like. Think about what that was for her. Think about God showing his power in that case, a supernatural plan. The son was brought back to life by God. Not everyone who died within the sphere of Elisha was brought back to life, but in this case, This child was. Son himself, whose name we still don't know, eventually died, unless you're going to find me a several thousand-year-old man out there somewhere, but no, he died again. Remained dead that time. Not everyone who died while Jesus was on earth was brought back to life, though we have a record of some the passage that Dave read from the New Testament, the widow of Nain. What's interesting is if you look at the geography, Nain was right there where the Shunammite woman lived, just a couple of miles away. Might have even been uh, something that had been handed down in in that region. And Jesus comes up to the funeral, and it's going. And Jesus didn't do what my brother did one time, especially down south when there's a funeral, they they turn the lights on and follow. They still do that up here sometimes. Didn't really do that so much in Iowa, so my brother didn't know what was going on. He was just driving down to college. And he, you know, saw a little break. All these people had their headlights on. Why are these dummies with their headlights on? Uh, It's not raining. He butts in, and boy, somebody uh, gave him what for. He cut into the funeral. Jesus came across a funeral in Nain, and there was the widow Her husband was dead. She also was in a circumstance, and Jesus stopped. And in Luke 7, it talks about how Jesus raised that child back to life. Sometimes Jesus has done that. Prophets have done that. It's a preview. It's a preview. When this happens in Scripture, it's a reminder that God is powerful enough to do this. God is the boss of science. Science belongs to God. A scientist can't bring the baby back to life. God can, because God's
1: the boss of science.
0: Science belongs to him. He made the rules of the universe, the moral ones and the scientific ones. And what these are when we see God bringing dead back to life is a preview of what's going to happen spiritually for God's people. This is what to to take from this. It's a preview of what will happen to God's people on the last day. Some of us, when we die, uh, don't come back to life. Uh, I'd say that's probably going to be true of all of us, uh, unless there's some weird thing, uh, some God-planned some God thing. But for most of us, we're going to die. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to have spiritual life. And now we get to the gospel in the passage. Listen to 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. Paul said, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. Fallen asleep was the way Paul described people who died. God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There is life. Abundant life, wonderful life. Uh, you can have had the best life, and then it's time for you to die, and you go, What's on the other side? And you're a Christian. You go, That's going to be even better than the life He gave me here. You could have gone to the school of hard knocks, <laughs> had not so great of a life. Think of those Negro spirituals, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And they sang so many songs and wrote so many songs in their slavery about heaven. And some people said, oh, they were just singing about the Underground Railroad. Well, that's, what, that, that's an explanation from somebody who doesn't have a hope of heaven and doesn't realize that those brothers and sisters of ours had a hope of heaven. They were singing about heaven. And we're going to heaven, Christian. My dad uh, gave me a version. I forget what, what his joke was, but something about the... Uh, it was a joke about a monkey getting his tail cut off and his shorter, and, and his, the, the point of the joke was time's getting shorter for me. It's got all these issues, and uh, somebody sang a bluegrass song uh, talking about uh, we're in the short rows now, talking about on the farms. They'd start with the long rows, but then the farms were crooked, and, and by the time you, you, you harvest your field and you get to the short rows, that you're about done with your harvesting, and, and, and some people say, I'm in the short rows now. What's coming? what's coming is life. In the same way that God can bring that little baby back to life, in the same way that Jesus brought that woman back to life, in the same way Lazarus was brought back to life, he's just saying I'm the God of life, not the God of death. And there is a spiritual life for us. Somebody told, told me, one of my kids texted me and told me about a friend of ours, and there, there was kids that they grew up with in, in the church we were at, and And uh, that dad died of cancer. Young guy, younger than me. And I said, lucky Gary. He is experiencing heaven. Lucky Gary. I'm so sad for his family. I can't wait till they join him. And in God's plan, if God had let him live longer and, and be an influence and be good in this world as he was good, then good. But there's It's not for nothing that the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints because the death of his saints is eternal life. And this is a picture of life. Uncle Jim died and at his funeral, Jim was a Baptist, and and he had a lot of of good rapture, uh, or not good rapture, but he was pretty solid rapture theology and all that stuff. And at first I kind of, when people started saying this at his funeral, I said, is this biblical? Is this... And then I read First Thessalonians, and it was biblical. I guess Jim would always tell people, "I'll see you again, here, or there, in the air." He would say, "Here, or there, in the air." And the first person, some woman stood up, and she said, "Jim was blah blah blah," and she gave a testimonial about Jim's life. And then she said, "Here, or there, or in the air," and everybody chuckled. And then somebody else said it, and all that. And I think about that when I read this First Thessalonians passage: There is life; death is not the end. And for the Christian. Death is eternal life, and God has the power. Jesus' death provided eternal life. I told my kids, at my death, don't you know? There's a debate. You know, do you call it a funeral or do you call it a memorial? Well, one is if you have the body there or not. Do you call it a celebration of life? Well, I'm not going to get into that. Call mine a celebration of eternal life. And every funeral for a Christian is a celebration of eternal life. And you talk about, that's the body, but that's not the person. The person is with God in heaven. Eternal life. Jesus came that we could have life and have it to the full. Uh, Some of that ramification is for here on earth, but he's really talking about heaven. that's provided for us through Jesus. Last story. John Duncan was a Scottish Minister in the 1800s, Rabbi Duncan, they called him. His wife died of complications shortly after delivering their second daughter. His friend went with him to look at his wife's body. Not his wife, she was in heaven. And his friend said all he kept saying over and over again, kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. And what was he saying over and over again as he looked at his wife's dead body? He was giving the answer to Shorter Catechism 37. This is what it says. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. And then he would say it again. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. And he looked at that woman, the body of his wife, who was immediately made perfect and in heaven. And that body that was going to be joined with God in heaven. And that's where he found his comfort in his hardest times. What did we get from the text today as we close? Four things. God is the source of your good gifts, and he loves gifting his people just to do it. Sometimes you see its connection to the larger plan. Sometimes you don't, but it's a gift from God, and God loves giving you gifts. Second, there are good times on this earth and bad times, but all of it is God's time. And where will you go in the bad times? The same place you go in the good times. You run to God. God is good all the time. Third, don't put God's prophets, his workers, his humans on the same level as God. Don't elevate them. God is God. And finally, rest in the fact that it is God who is the giver of life. A word from Jesus does the trick. Power over life and death. That's the one to even be afraid of. And to love and to serve God who has power over life and death. You, has he made alive who've been dead in your trespasses and sins, and we'll close with this passage, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You're in the sun, you have life.
1: You've repented, you've put your faith in Jesus, there's life. You've passed from death to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today.
0: Thank you for this great woman. And boy, we're sad with her for what she went through because we can relate to it. We thank you for what that great woman uh, learned about you that day. We look forward to seeing her one day and and worshiping you with her in heaven. And Lord, we thank you. You are the God who is the giver of life. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Some of us will have a, a really good year, perhaps. Some of us will have a really bad year, perhaps. All of us will have a great year if and as we walk with you. And we thank you for that. Thank you for being our God.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.